For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. Oh, this could be fun. Welcome back to Hurt Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson, another Young Voices co- uh, contributor, not competitors. We have some friendly competitions, but contributor with Young Voices. Uh, Grace Bedelic, did I get it right that time? I've been practicing it. Unfortunately, no. Dang it. What was it? It's Bedalic. Bedalic. Like see, I see Dalek and I start thinking Doctor Who. and it, it's, uh, Grace Bedalic. Think, think your daughter's Bedazzle. You know? Bedazzle Bedalic. All right, Grace Bedalic. She's a performer. She's an artiste, uh, an actor. Uh, she also does commentary through Young Voices, which we're going to be talking about today because she's been writing. How are you? Dis- I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Got my Fantastic. coffee. Got, got your coffee. Got doing better than I am with pronunciation. Fortunately, you're an outstandingly good writer. Uh, you took to the pages of um, Detroit's Press and talked about, I love this term so much, so just explain it to everybody, but for folks that aren't very online and doesn't know the online parlances and the memes involved here, what does Calvin Ball mean? You know, uh, it's not so much being online um, that would allow people to to know this term. Uh, my brother and I, my brother and I grew up reading Bill Watterson's phenomenal comic books, Calvin and Hobbes, and I think that's probably where a lot of our antics um, came from, but we would laugh. We would just like lay in bed and read these comic books for hours and hours and hours on end and just laugh ourselves to sleep. And so this game, Calvin Ball, is something that's born out of Calvin's imagination. Um, And he and Hobbes uh, play in the backyard and they make up the rules as they go along. There's a quote in the book that says, the only permanent rule is that you can never play the same way twice. Um, and so that's where that's where the term came from. Now, that makes for excellent comic strip material. But as a governing <laughs> philosophy, this does not work quite as well. And that's kind of what you were drilling down in the piece you were writing about, uh, where you invoked the specter of Calvin Ball. Right. It's very cute coming from Calvin and Hobbes. But unfortunately, when it comes from our political betters, um, not so much. Now, we ran into this uh, North Carolina where I have a home where we talk about, well, we're going to believe the experts and we're going to believe the science. Okay, great. Who's the experts and who's the science? And from Governor Roy Cooper, we never actually got a list of who the experts were, oddly enough. You found this looking at a couple of different blue state governors of when they start to change the rules or in the specific case now, as they start to relax the rules, there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reasons to these things. And then it lets people kind of mind wander to things like, okay, is it coincidence that the political winds blow one way, polling goes one way, public opinion goes one way, or are they actually trying to follow some sound advice? And that's why you invoke the Calvin Ball imagery here. 
Yes, precisely. That's exactly why I invoked the the Calvin Ball imagery. Unfortunately, I think when you talk about um, experts, uh, specifically, we've been listening to people who um, do not have a, a, their best intentions in mind or um, do not have uh, our best interests as a people in mind. Um, so the science hasn't changed. Uh, we're just being gaslit. All right. So some folks want to be more generous and say that this is just a habit of, you know, the machinations of normal government. It's top down. We're trying to do one size fits all. There's a lot of do something involved here. Generous approach is to think that, OK, this is just how the government always does things. They reactionary. They're trying to do one size fits all. Uh, but you think with some of the data that you're seeing and some of the trends we've seen with the two years that we've been doing this, that might be too generous of an application for what's actually happening here. Yes, I think that that is uh, is far too generous. Uh, as we've seen, unfortunately, case counts are higher than they've ever been. Um, and uh, the legislation, which is coming down um, from blue state governors uh, and from the federal government at large, uh, is not congruent um, with the with the data. Now, the problem, too, is the data and the optics don't always run alongside you talking about blue state governors. We just had a massive nationwide event in a blue state in California in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to really be a watershed for a lot of people because you had I I don't know how many people fit in the SoFi Stadium, 70,000, probably 60,000. All the politicians, all the major, you know, major stars, the, the eyes of the whole country are on it. It's the biggest TV show every single year. And you have, you know, Governor Gavin Newsom, who's been a big proponent of a lot of stuff. He's there unmasked. He's hanging around. There's not a mask to be seen anyway. That, along with the State of the Union where nobody was masked, that really seemed to be kind of a watershed moment to a lot of folks. Yes, I think it was. I think the optics have been have been really egregious. I mean, as you said, uh, we've seen an unmasked Gavin Newsom and Eric Garcetti next to a famously immunocompromised basketball player, (laughs) Magic Johnson. And then we also saw a few weeks back an unmasked Stacey Abrams smiling in a sea of masked kids, um, which I think for parents specifically um, was the watershed moment that you're talking about. Why do you think the kids bother folks? Like this is beyond just a parent thing, because, of course, parents are always touchy about their kids no matter what to to various degrees of, you know, justified and unjustified sometimes. The school (laughs) thing really seemed to slam home. I've written about it because, like, you know, in the elementary school and the high school in my community is right across the street from a shopping center. So for 15 months, the school is completely shut down because we can't go over there, but all the exact same people are across the street, seeing each other in the grocery store and the McDonald's across the street. And it's the same people in the same confines for all practical purposes. I think people are realizing maybe there should have been a little bit better way to do it. But again, the optics are just incongruent and there's just not a stat in the world for people to go like, this doesn't make sense that across the street, we're all going to die, but here we can still function normally. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, in New York, it took a full month after mask mandates were lifted in the city for the same thing to happen for the, for the kids in public schools. Um, And I think it's so irksome because we've known from the outset of this pandemic that healthy children have the lowest probability of developing serious illness from COVID. And they also have the lowest probability of passing it to each other. So when we're looking at cumulative mortality stats, you know, in states reporting 0.00 to 0.01 of all child COVID-19 cases have resulted in death. Um, And so we've we've seen uh, just how, I don't wanna say inconsequential, 
but uh, just how unlikely this is to impact them in a negative way. And we've also seen on the other hand, um, just how much negative impact uh, mask mandates um, and uh, lack of education uh, have had on our children over the past two years. Yeah, talking to Grace Vidalik, uh, Young Voices contributor, a performer. Let's go back in time, though. You brought up New York City, kind of the national awareness of the things. We had the NBA player, and then the NBA shut down. That's when everybody kind of went, oh, okay. But it was New York City. That's where it kind of really broke out. And, of course, that's a media hub, so anything that happens in New York gets amplified to the rest of the country. Go back to that, because you were there for that. You're a New York uh, dweller. Go back to that time, though, and kind of compare it to now, because what what did they do then? And looking back on it now, because that's when everybody started really paying attention to this is like we're shutting down New York City. That's shocking to people. Yeah, it was shocking to people. Um, that was when Cuomo was in office. I remember it very well. Um, it was middle of March. It might have been March 12th or 13th when the world, it seemed, shut down entirely. And I remember uh, I had a full social calendar, a full work calendar, and within about 24 hours, everything that I had scheduled for the rest of my life was off the table. Um, And I remember things just dropping off my calendar one by one by one by one and thinking to myself like, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to keep me out of work for more than three weeks, it's not going to happen. Or, oh, they're not going to cancel the United Airlines half that my dad and I are supposed to run together. Oh, they're not going to cancel the New York City Marathon. And one by one, these things just started to drop. Um, And I also remember being in, I don't know, a Trader Joe's and seeing two grown men getting in a fight, a physical altercation over toilet paper and cauliflower gnocchi. Um, and unfortunately, that was the moment where I realized, oh, people, people are scared. People are really scared. And we've never seen like, we've never seen anything like this in our lives. Um, and my, my parents, uh, when Trump floated the idea of, a, of an international travel ban or of a national travel ban, uh, said, hey, what's up? get you a ticket. You could come back home for a couple days, just for a weekend, wait it out. Um, and I ended up being home for about five months. So it's kind of a crazy time. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to go back and go back to the beginning is because, and you touched in on it on your piece, a lot of what's happening here is, and we can talk about science and we can talk about data and stats. You've got a stat, uh, 70% of surveyed are just tired or frustrated by the state of the pandemic. I don't think the coverage we spend a lot of time is like you had this massive emotional thing at the beginning of this, but then it went on for two more years after that. And that's why I wanted to kind of go back and touch on that again. You wrote in it in your piece. It's a center part of your piece. There's a lot of just frustration involved in this too, isn't there? I mean, 15 days to slow the spread, right? It's, it's the polls have, have really plummeted for Democrats. Um, faith in the president and federal health agencies I've really taken a nosedive. Um, Real Clear Politics was reporting uh, that a mere 39% of Americans approve of, of Biden's performance and 52% strongly disapprove. And that was a couple of weeks ago. So I can't imagine what they're feeling now with everything happen- happening happening in, in Ukraine. Um, and his approval rating right now, as we speak, sits even lower than that of his pre- predecessor, uh, Donald Trump. To cap that off, as of late January, Democrats had lost 
a whopping 14 polling points in just one year. Um, and so that actually constitutes the largest polling shift in Gallup's 30-year history. So we're seeing massive ramifications uh, for Democrats in the polls. Yeah, and I think a lot of it isn't just how they handled it. I think it goes back to this Calvin Ball thing you were talking about. We've had, you know, the health experts that we have on our program, Dr. Michael Siegel, these guys, they always yeah. say, look, science, you got to be consistent. And, the, and the, the key to good science is saying when you don't know, say you don't know. Yeah. And there was a lot with this stuff. We know the deaths are horrible. Just about everybody probably knows somebody that had a serious illness and God forbid they had a death involved because the deaths are serious. But the government didn't seem to take it serious or you can't take the government serious when they don't have a consistency to their policies. And that's where the people get frustrated. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We've seen also uh, just on the topic of deaths. I mean, we've seen the government making policies uh, off of uh, uh, case rates and not uh, hospitalization and death rates as well, which I think is something that has really frustrated people. Because for a lot of people, for children, for young adults uh, who are ready to get their lives back in motion, um, this this disease was this uh, this virus was not was not necessarily a serious uh, threat from the beginning. Yeah, um, talking to Grace, I think it's one of those things. The old Vince Scully quote of you know. Um, you know, a statistics are kind of like a light pole. People think it's for illumination, but mostly it's just to hold up a drunk. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's stats for everything. Mm -hmm. And it felt to a lot of folks that the death stats were one thing. And they even debated how some of those were tabulated. Mm -hmm. But then when you started talking case rates, but then you'd switch to the death rates. But then when that changed, then you switch back to the case rates again. Just the just the confusion of what we're talking about is bad science, but it also makes for bad governance, doesn't it? Right. A hundred percent. And actually, uh, studies that were used by the CDC to push universal masking in schools across the country, uh, as you're saying, have been kind of largely debunked because they haven't been condu- conducted in uh, in uh in sound ways. So they haven't controlled for vaccination rates or other mitigation measures, and they fail to account for harm done by masking to students' mental health and development. Um, Or as we were saying, the 0.02% COVID fatality rate among children. Um, And so a lot of these studies that we're seeing actually have very fundamental flaws. Yeah. And a lot of it, to be fair, they were trying to make it as they go and a lot of stuff got rushed. But that's part of the thing is we probably needed more conversation on some of this. I understand the push to get, you know, the death rate is the death rate and you don't want anybody to die that doesn't have to. But a lot of this was rushed. We'll push back on one thing. I know having teenage daughters, though, when they were having acne days, they actually enjoyed masks. So there was a small subset of children that didn't mind masks at school for that one specific reason, (laughs) trying to find a little levity in a dark topic. I mean, it's... uh... As much as, yes, there's levity there, I have also been working with uh, kids up in the Bronx for the entirety of this pandemic, and you've seen children retreat into themselves as they hide behind these these things in front of their faces. It becomes almost uh, like a like a blanket of sorts, like a like a soothing technique to be hidden. Um, and as far as ramifications for mental health goes, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And again, uh, you go back to how we start our conversation. One size fits all doesn't always work because you're always going to have people that don't fit in one size fits all. And this is a great example of it, especially the really younger kids who can't 
you know, understand what's going on and eat trying to force them. And anybody who's ever been around a toddler knows how that goes. Uh, Grace, but they like, we're going to continue to talk to her after the break. Uh, since she is an artiste, an actor, a performer, we're going to talk about COVID and a part that hasn't been talked about a lot, the effects on arts and culture. We talk about culture war online. We're talking about the important culture stuff, what makes us humans, what makes us a people. We're going to get into that. Grace Bidet, like a uh, Young Voices contributor, plenty more on her tell right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Andrew Donson talking to Grace Bedalek. Am I getting better with it? Bedalek. Bedalek. All right. We'll keep practicing and we got a whole segment to practice on. Grace Bedalek, uh, Young Voices contributor. But let's put your other hat on. You're also a performer. You're a uh, working actor, actress. Uh, one thing that I think got lost with all the isolation and all the shutdown stuff, you're in the performance industry. You're in the entertainment industry. We lost a lot of cultural stuff. And I think it's been interesting watching people talk about things. We can kind of laugh about like uh, going to the theater or going to a show or going to a music venue. People really, really miss that. And it's not just that they missed it uh, for mental health and stress relief reasons. That's a big economic hit on top of it too. talk about it. Cause I know Broadway got a lot of coverage. Uh, New York city has a thriving art scene, probably one of the best in the world. Talk about what it was like for COVID when that stuff just basically stopped. Yeah, 100%. An entire industry had its legs ripped out from underneath it, right? Um, there was nothing that people in the arts industry could do. Um, they couldn't hold auditions um, except, for over, uh, except for over Zoom, and we all know how that goes. Maybe we don't all know how that goes. It doesn't go well is what I'm saying. Um, and uh, performances stopped for upwards of upwards of a year and a half. Um, and so uh, the industry was really, really just decimated, decimated by this. The West End was on the verge of collapse. Um, Broadway was in a, in a, in a bad way. It still is. Um, and uh, we will continue to see the ramifications of, of the pandemic um, on the entertainment industry uh, for years to come, for years to come. Now, for folks that go, well, it's the it's just a bunch of actors and actresses. No, there's stagehands. There's a whole industry around this. Yeah. Uh, there's some hard numbers involved in this. The entertainment industry, that's uh, performing arts, cultural arts. It's $900 billion industry. It supports 5.2 million jobs. The job loss from the first two years of COVID is estimated by the Arts Council that they went from 2.5 million to 1.2 million job losses between February and April of 2000 to January of 2022. Uh, it's come back up a little bit, but there's still about 500,000 jobs off their peak. Um, the attendance went through the floor. It was down to 30% of before at its worst during uh, Omni, uh, the Delta variant back in April. It was down to 30%. It's only back to about 68%. That's a lot of hard economic numbers. That's a lot of tourism numbers in a place like New York City. And that's a lot of working class people that support these industries that just got decimated by this thing. And I think, unfortunately, uh, even before COVID happened, uh, shows have been struggling to recoup. It's never it's never a, a guarantee that a show is going to or that investors are going to into are going to recoup the money that they've put in um, to these shows. Um, it's actually, it's, it's a rarity that they do. It's a rarity that a show is a smash hit. Um, and now as we see more than 
half of Broadway theaters empty, um, it is even less likely uh, that investors will be will be recouping their their investments. All right. So something obviously got you into the arts, got you into acting. Talk about the human side of it. Like, why is that important? Because you talked about, you know, you work with kids. You were in New York City for the worst of this stuff. You saw it firsthand. Yeah. Talk about what the arts means to people, not just as a performer, but, you know, if you're a performer, you started as a fan first. That's just how that works. Talk about the human side of it. And when that taken away, we really do miss a part of us that's human. That is, it's not as important as your food and things like this, but it really is important to your psyche. And it is important to us as a people, isn't it? Yes, 100%. Um, the human side uh, is incredibly important. I always go back to uh, the Dead Poet Society quote. Uh, where uh, Robin Williams' character says, the human race is full of passion, medicine, law, business, engineering. These are all noble pursuits um, and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, and love, these are what we stay alive for. Um, I think we saw a lot of that uh, in the pandemic where people were recognizing, oh, I haven't seen live music in, in two years. Or, oh, I haven't touched somebody uh, in, in, in weeks or months or years, um, people, even in New York city now, we're seeing people, uh, just standing in, in crowded, crowded concert halls and, and crying because they're able to experience these things again, because they're able to experience each other again, because they're able to see each other's faces again. Um, and so I think COVID was just, uh, it just emphasized, um, how important human connection um, and artistry really is. Do you think we've learned um, any human lessons out of COVID? We've been talking a lot about, you know, we've learned a lot about how our government functions or doesn't function, to be more specific. Uh, we've learned a lot about how science works and doesn't work. We've learned that the academic and science community needs to work on their communication to the common people by their own admission and to their credit. They realize like, hey, we're, we're not real good at this TV thing. We need to work on this. Those are all well and good. Have we learned any human lessons, do you think, from this COVID thing? Because you're a performer. You're on the human side of the scale of those things. Are, are we learning anything as human beings about connecting and talking to people and just appreciating life? That, the famous, dead, since you want to go to Dead Poets Society, the carpe diem part of the life, are we seizing the day or are we just kind of reverting to our priors and going, well, this just confirms everything I thought before? You know, I can't speak to the general human experience, but I can speak to my own. Um, I know that COVID for me stripped my life of so many unnecessary distractions um, and so many unnecessary pursuits um, and all sorts of unnecessary striving um, and brought me back to what was fundamentally most important in my life, which was family, which was connections with my friends and ensuring that my friends were okay, which was my relationship to God um, and uh, my ability to uh, reflect uh, and, um, and uh, process. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot of people um, kind of get back to basics. Uh, in a way that is is beautiful, and I think will prove very fruitful, specifically in the in the artistic sphere. Like I can't wait to see what people have been creating, um, and I think we've only just kind of 
seen the tip of the iceberg as far as that goes. Yeah. Grace Badalik, uh staying with us on her tell. Great conversation. Uh, let's take that one step for, forward. Um, we go forward. I know on our program, we talk about we do culture and politics. I don't think those are uh, separable. I think they go together. And I don't mean in the culture warring way that people have just kind of made a, a business model out of it. You know, politics is how people govern themselves and culture is what those people are. I just don't think you can separate those two things. When you look at it from the culture side, like you just talked about it, stripping away the nonsense. Let me just ask you, why do you do it? Because, you know, you have your career, you're a working actor, you're kind of living your dream. Why get in the dirty pool end of it with the doing the politics stuff? I think that's a great question. And I would I would ask that to you as well. Um, my answer is politics affects policy, which affects people. Um, and so I've seen um, in real time the ramifications of political decisions made by our elite class on people like you and me and like my brother and like my family um, and like the kids that I'm involved with in the Bronx. Um, and I think if we care about each other, uh, we should care about politics as well. Yeah, for me, that's exactly what it is, is, you know, um, it's a people thing. And yeah. I keep watching the news and they never talk about issues as people and they don't talk about politics as people. And they talk about demographics without somehow realizing that those demographics are all people. And I just got tremendously frustrated, especially when, you know, I went through my health stuff where I couldn't work a quote unquote real job anymore. And, you know, now I do this for 15 hours a day. But um, I just got tremendously frustrated of like, no, this is not how you talk about people. You know, the the news networks and, and I don't want to bash media because we have lots of good friends in journalism. The good journalists, they're always, you know, it's it's something somebody told me about writing years ago when I first started writing. And I remember it's like whatever you're writing about, you're writing about people, whatever yeah. business you're in, you're in the people business. You know, it, it's about people. And so much of our media and culture and politic discourse was completely devoid of people. It was all buzzwords and it's all. Uh, just issues and I want this policy and my team needs to win and it's all power structures and it's like that's why you guys nobody can talk to anybody anymore is because everybody's just talking about these things as if they're in the abstract and you're not dealing with people anymore right right I totally agree and this kind of uh, polarization um, that we see is really unfortunate you know I was in a musical theater program in college that was entirely liberal except for me um and we would have i was i i was able to have uh open conversations with people and uh sit down with people over breakfast and talk about policy or um sit down with uh people who didn't necessarily understand uh a conservative perspective and speak openly about why i believe the things that i believed because i believed that they thought the best of me, right? They were, they were assuming my best intentions. And I think that that is what we've, that is to a large extent what we've lost. Um, we've lost the ability to sit down at a table over a meal uh, with a person who we vehemently disagree on as far as policy goes and say to them, you know, I think you're wrong, but I genuinely think that you think that you want the best for the most people. 
you want the best thing for the most people. And so I'm going to hear you out. Um, and, you know, as I have been in, in, in theater and in the arts, um, I have seen it progress to uh, this place where we are now, which is this kind of cultural illiberalism, where if you don't fall in line with this kind of new orthodoxy, um, you are not allowed <laughs> to be a part of the industry. Um, and so it, it makes me very sad because I actually think that it, it, um, it is detrimental to, to the caliber of art that we can make. It's detrimental to the, to the quality of our friendships that we can have. It's detrimental to uh, it, the interactions with people that we have on a daily basis. Um, and it's also detrimental to our mental, mental health when we're, when we're categorizing people in such strict ways. Um, and so I, it just, it makes me really sad. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that social media does and the reason I, I always say like, just tweet, tweet at everybody as if they're sitting in front of you usually solves a lot of this, but we, we otherize people so fast and then it just all goes downhill from there because yeah. you just forget you're dealing with a human being and that goes both ways and everybody does it and that we all are guilty, but yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. If we just, you know, you, you can get along with people you disagree with on everyone. If you just start with the basic human level of, okay, we're, we're going to figure out a way to just coexist in the same space here and then go from there instead of the other way around of looking for reasons not to get along with people. Uh, Grace Bedalek. Bedalek. Dang. <laughs> Don't keep working. Grace Bedalek. I can't say it, but it's a fantastic conversation. Um, let folks know where they can follow you, what you have going on. Uh, I don't know if you want to sing a song or anything, but let them know where they can, what you got coming up and what's going on in your world so they can follow you. You know, if you want to hear me sing a song, you can go to YouTube. You can look me up. I'm sure you'll find anything from a tribute song that I sang when I was 12 to Barack Obama and, or, uh, uh, my, my, my spots on, a on strawberry shortcake, um, or my performances in, in, at Michigan, uh, in musical theater. Uh, but if you want to read my writing, you can go to my website, which is grace daily, D-A-L-E-Y, badalic.com. Uh, and you'll find my EP there. You'll find my writing there. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram at grace underscore daily. Yep. And she's a young voices contributor, uh, a great, great group of people, uh, great example in you different kind of background, but exactly, you know, brings a good perspective. And we love working with folks like you appreciate you. It's not every day I get any oatmeal on the show. Uh, <laughs> that'll be a real niche reference for people that have kids. Uh, Grace, thank you so much for the conversation and the time today. Really appreciate it. Look forward to having you back again. Andrew, thank you so much. for Thank you. Me. Anytime, man. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.